Hello, it's Chris. Welcome to the second episode of Just For The Record. It's my podcast, which is um, all things recording, guitar playing, and, of course, we're going to throw in a few little... uh, tips and tricks to do with the old singing and uh, helping to develop the voice. So if you like the podcast, uh, please subscribe to it, check in and do what you've got to do. And if you want to check the social media out, you can find us on Facebook as Arena Studio. You can also find us on Twitter as Arena Studio UK. And the web uh, address is www.arenastudio.co.uk. Uh, Thanks for sticking around with the podcasts. I'm really enjoying doing them and hopefully there's going to be something of value for everybody in there. Uh, This week's episode is a little belter, actually. It's an interview that I did a couple of years ago with the BBC uh, where they asked me to come in and have a chat about some of the things that are done and how I got into guitar playing. So the episode is going to cover everything from working with my very first £5 guitar to actually teaching and coaching and performing professionally uh, across the UK and Europe and everything that goes in between. So enjoy. BBC Radio Stoke, Roy Orbison, drove all night. Uh, after 11 this morning, uh, my guest is here, or actually already, Chris Cragg. Uh, yesterday we were talking to an artist and forger who wrote a hit song. Um, today, musician, producer, uh, runs his own studio and crew, and has played on stage with many, many stars, including The Gossip, Gareth Gates and others. And you were responsible for coaching and producing a man who went to win the X Factor, went on to win the X Factor. So that's quite a good start for this morning. Yeah, that's correct. Morning, yes, yeah. Uh, Shane Ward. So we've got lots to talk about this one. You've never forged any art, though, as well. No, I mean. <laughs> no not at all, no. Guitarist. And, and some great musical heroes to talk about as well, being a guitarist. We thought we, maybe we, we just caught you too late. We we're going to get to bring the guitar in this morning. Yes, but, I was already on the way down, unfortunately. So uh, the guitar's still stuck into the studio and... Uh, Maybe another time. Yeah. So, in terms of um, musical heroes, we'll probably start the next hour with one of your musical heroes. When you, when you were growing up, you are a guitarist. Who do you admire, would you uh, say? I loved the likes of ACDC, Angus Young, with the rocky stuff, but I'm also a big Journey fan. Uh, loved the Journey stuff, the big stadium rock, thought it was great. Big harmonies, great voices, great guitar players. OK, well, well, we'll probably try and find a bit of Journey then. I think that would be a nice way to start, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, so, yes, Chris is here. Chris Cragg here after 11. We'll be talking about um, what it takes to become a successful musician, what it takes to coach an X Factor winner, or somebody will go on to do it, and, of course, now runs his own studio. And then later this morning, how much does your... She had to refrain this morning from playing air guitar in the studio while that was on because I've got a proper guitarist sitting in front of me. That would have been really embarrassing, wouldn't it, Chris, to be well, honest? Well, yeah, go for it. It's <laughs> up to you, really, if you want to. Uh, the reason we're playing Journey and Don't Stop Believing, it, the kind of thing that inspired uh, Chris Cragg to get into the, the whole picking up the guitar business, I presume. Definitely, definitely, yeah. I was um, probably uh, about 13, I think it was my sister who came. She got a job, she was working, she left school, she was working at Woolworths. And uh, Woolworths was selling electric guitars at the time. They sold everything. Yeah, they, they did, yeah. And she basically came home with this guitar, which was £5, <laughs> and uh, changed my life. I went down to the local music shop, bought a book, uh, Tune a Day. Uh, it was called, I think it was Bert Whedon or somebody Bert, like that. I was going to say, yeah. was it Bert Whedon? He was legendary for that, wasn't he? That's it? right, yeah, yeah. yeah. He probably lived off, off the royalties of that book rather than 
record sales, yeah. maybe, but uh, basically inspired me to sit in the bedroom and play and practice, which was a bit bizarre, really, because I didn't come from a musical background. So there was there was not really music in the house, no. just just the stuff your parents were listening to. Perhaps? Yeah, that's it, really. Yeah, my, my father was into sort of the big band, the swing stuff. Um, mother wasn't really um, that musical. Used to sing along to the records now and again that we're playing. Um, so normally you tend to find a lot of musicians. It's the parents that inspire them to pick up or mm. following their footsteps with guitar, piano. Yeah, or, or or perhaps older brother's musical influences, yes, that sort yeah, of thing, yeah. but not for you. No, no, so it's a little bit strange, really, that I sort of got the bug, stuck with it, and uh, ended up where I am today, really, which is... Uh, so the, did the guitar come before discovering the guitarists? Uh, yes, I think it did, yeah. Yeah, I was more into... I think what I basically liked to do was get the guitar and mime along to the songs I think most people do, you know, and imagine that you're on stage with these great bands. Mm. Um, and it was just one of those things that just really got under my skin and I loved it and I just put the time and the commitment and the effort in. And, and was, was there support or suspicion from parents? Support, oh, oh, yeah, it's got support a guitar, was great. The next thing, it's going to be rock and roll. And yeah, and well, and... I do remember having this old valve amp in my bedroom and my parents used to shout up the stairs, can you turn it down, your tea's ready, and... <laughs> And I just ignored them. And then I realised one day that they got quite good at getting me down for tea by just turning the electric off, <laughs> uh, which plunged everything off and everything went into darkness. And I realised, that's it, tea time, let's go down and eat. So. See, I, I used to play the piano, they couldn't turn that no, off. No, that's uh, it, yeah. yeah that's the, you see, you, that was a mistake you made there. Yes, yeah. So it was, it was learning the chords and then perhaps discovering guitarists who, who did it better than you. Yes, that's right, they inspired me. The likes of all the greats, really, Santana's and your... Um, Hendrix, you know, uh, Hank Marvin's, all the great players, really. Now, interesting you say Hank Mark Marvin, because we all know he was a good guitarist, but probably not as cool as the other names you just mm, mentioned, like yeah. Carlos Santana and Jimi Hendrix. But very influential. Um, obviously, one of the greatest, probably, guitar players to inf influence a, a generation. Um, but did it did it great you know not technically brilliant but what he did he did very very well and still sells it a lot today i suppose don't the shadows and 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 you, you were you completely self-taught or did you decide to get uh, some one or two lessons but then i sort of took it up more seriously and then i started to study a lot of the music theory which opened a lot of doors um a lot of guitar players get told that don't go down the route of the theory and understanding the music because it stifles the creativity um, but I disagree. Personally with me, I think it makes you a far better musician. You understand what needs to be played and why you play it, and it definitely made me far better, and it just sort of pushed me in the directions that I needed to go into, Cause, really. Because so many um, famous musicians don't read music. That's right, yes, yeah. But you do? Yes, yeah. And that, that, that makes a difference? Yes, yeah. So where did you go with it from there? Presumably you've got this guitar and you suddenly realise you can play it. Was it then, I need to form a band? Yes, I ended up doing a couple of local bands. I was in a band called Montreux and a band called Slider and one or two others over the years. It's um, the names that get me. Yeah, the great yeah. names for bands. Yeah, it was, all, it was all sort of the curly hair and the spandex, all that type of stuff. <laughs> Did um, you have amps that went up to 11? Oh, still yeah, do, yeah, still yeah, do, yeah. That, that extra notch. They, they're the industry standard, Stuart. You've got to talk about those, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and basically did the, the club scene and the pub scene with the bands. Had some great times, great memories. And um, it just sort of evolved to the, to the fact that I realised there was basically no money in the bands and I wanted to be a full-time professional musician, so I basically gave the bands up and uh, went solo and did the club scene and then I ended up like a comedy vocal and doing, you know, it sort of... I morphed probably more times than Madonna over the years. <laughs> You've changed it. Yes, yeah, and then ended changed up... Changed your uh, style and your in, image. ...in the club scene, doing a little bit of holiday parks and 
vocal entertainer and this type of stuff. And Is, is that a conscious decision that has to be made? Because there is a lot of money to be made as a good musician. Yes. Definitely, yeah. but not necessarily if all you're doing is chasing fame. That's right, yeah. I mean, it's one thing that I never did. I was never really into it for the fame and the fortune. And with the studio where I am now in crew, and I, I run a small independent record label there called Cragstar Records, I get a lot of people that come in and they say, I want to win the X Factor, I want to be famous, I want to be a millionaire. And it's all the wrong sort of answers really when I'm talking to them it's basically the ones that I like are the ones that come in and go I love singing or I want to play and I just want to perform and you know and, and if anything else comes on top then that's a bonus really it's, so it's where you start really do you think yes, do you think yeah. that's changed then thanks to things I mean there were always talent shows weren't there yeah the, the, the talent show I think there's a place for them but um, a couple of the acts the local acts that we've got signed on the label they basically don't want to do the X Factor or the voice thing they want to try and do it just purely on reputation and hard work and chugging away around the pubs and clubs and if anything does come then that's a bonus for them as well I suppose you know and was that perhaps something you were hoping for with the bands with those great names when yes, you first started yeah. this is it you know we're going to be big yeah I think I think um, looking back I suppose I did really quite want the fame and and the adulation, I suppose. But then you get to a certain age and you realise it's not everything that it's it's cracked up to be sometimes. And uh, and I quite like the idea of where, when I, was, I used to do a lot around the, the working men's clubs, you could go on stage and work great and do your, your 245s and maybe sign the odd autograph <laughs> and then come off and go home and watch TV at night. And that was it, back to normal reality. So uh, I think there's, a, there's the pros and cons of all of it, really. Can you remember the first time you went on stage in front of an audience? Because there you are in your bedroom learning Burt Whedon's guitar, chord a day, tune a day. And, yeah. and can you remember the first time you took it on stage? I definitely can. It was a club in Northwich called the Gladstone Club. And I was probably about 15, 16. And I think we only knew about four or five songs, cover versions. And uh, it went great. And we basically had to play the four or five songs all over again because <laughs> repeat, yeah, that's that, we that was as good as we got, really. We didn't know what we were doing. And it was one of those moments where the nerves were terrible and you sort of realise that adrenaline really is brown and you spend sort of two weeks panicking before you actually go on stage. And, and there was probably maybe 20, 25 people in there, but... Again, I got the bug. But that was like it. Wembley for you. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. There must have been at that time, though, if you go through it and you do it properly, as well as a, something that inspired you, there must be a gig that you think, this is the worst night of my life. Oh, I've had a few. I've Good. had a few, yeah. Especially, especially when I did the, uh, the comedy sort of circuit. I did... Um, I supported a guy called, a comedian called Billy Pierce. Um, oh, I remember a few Billy years, Pierce, yeah. yeah. a few years ago. And um, sort of got the bug to have a go at the comedy myself. And... Uh, Put the act together and I thought it was all right and I had one or two good shows but I also had one or two bad shows where it's literally like the tumbleweed blowing across the stage when you open your first gag and nothing happens. That must be the worst gig in the world, being a comedian because yeah. you're so, I mean at least if you're a musician, even if you're not very good you can play another song. And That's just say, right, yeah. But if the gags don't... So the hard bit is to, you've got to then stand there Stuart for sort of 45 minutes going through the act knowing that nobody's interested, nobody's laughing yeah. and Where's soul Where's the guitar? Destroying. Quick, save them. Yeah, but then, the, you know, on, on the other foot you can go out the following night to a different area in the country, do exactly the same show and they're all doubled up in the aisles and, and laughing and rolling around, you know so it's there's a lot of light and shade with the comedy yeah. thing and it's there's a lot of stress involved with that as well I found so I sort of stepped away from the comedy and went back to back what, to the guitar yeah sort of doing the guitar stuff and alright we'll play a bit of music uh, plenty to ask you about uh, Chris Craig is with me this morning on BBC Radio Stoke Maroon 5 now
Harry Spiller this morning, and back to my guest uh, sitting there. Chris Cragg, we, we, we left your story uh, where you'd picked up your guitar, you'd been on stage, you'd tried comedy and uh, decided it wasn't for you to you'd stay, stick with the music. <laughs> yeah, go back to what you do well. Really. So um, uh, the decision, again, you said your parents were very supportive when you picked up a guitar, but when, when you decided that you actually wanted to make a living out of music, were they not a little bit worried for you? Not at all. My parents have always been very good. You know, uh, about three or four years ago, my wife and I decided to sell a house. Uh, and we decided to have an adventure, which was sell a house and buy a narrowboat, which we now live on in Nantwich. Um, and again, the parents were quite behind that sort of thing as well. They said, you know, live for today, enjoy your life um, and do what you want to do, really, which is probably a really good piece of advice that they gave to us. And, uh, and we still try and do things a little bit wacky and crazy and just generally have a great time. So they really did push the, the guitar, not sort of push, but encourage and, and basically left it up to me if I wanted to go down that route. Um, it was there and that's, that's the route that I chose really, Stuart. So. And you played music a lot. Did you ever try writing? Yes, I've written quite a bit over the years and I still write now and uh, co-write with a lot of the acts that we've got on the label. Um, we've got a young girl called Louise Green. Uh, she's just about to release her second single. There's another girl called Lydia O'Dowd. She's from Maidley. She's about to release a second single and we've just signed... Um, a local guy uh, from Cruise, about 22, called Andy Mack, who's got a great voice. He's a touch of Stevie Wonder, sort of meets Bruno Mars. So uh, I'm sort of co-writing with all these three at the moment. And then, quite bizarrely, just before Christmas, I got an email from a girl in Brisbane, Australia, whose grandmother lives in Stoke. And so she came over to visit a gran at Christmas, came into the studio in Crewe and had a little chat. And then we're going to be probably working with Charlotte Emily and Amy's. We're going to be working with Charlotte Emily in the, probably the next few weeks and see whether we can get something out for her. So uh, the writing side of it, I'm sort of doing different styles, really, I suppose, along the way. You know, some of them are quite rocky, some of them are funk, some of them are acoustic pop. So um, it sort of keeps the finger in a lot of pies, really. So um, you, you you moved on from from playing yourself to actually teaching others, and which is yes. pretty much the, the role you're in now. Yes, yeah. Um, was that a conscious decision, or did you just evolve into it? It just evolved into that really um, over the years. I, I teach vocals at um, a couple of schools. Uh, I teach at Winsford Act Academy, um, and I also do a little bit of music theory with with one or two of them there. And um, so it was a natural thing, really, the performance. Uh, as I've got older, I've tried to get away more from the performance and, the, you know, the love of music is just there. So it's naturally taken me down various roads over the years and I think the studio and the label are the way that it seems to be now at the moment. You I know, suppose so. performance, you have to be prepared to, to lug your stuff around because, yes. you know, unless you make it to the very big time and have people yeah. to do that for you, you, you have to just be prepared. To, it's quite a slog, isn't it? Oh, it is. You, know, you can make money, but there's a lot of... Yeah, yeah, over the years, I've probably done in excess of three, three and a half thousand professional shows, which is, when you think that there's 365 days in a year, you know, it's a lot of years and a lot of travelling and a lot of mileage and yeah. late nights and, and it's quite a, a stressful job, really, I suppose. It's quite a lonely job. You tend to be up and down the motorways on your own and then you set up in a strange venue, do the gig, yeah. travel back. In the Tiny dressing night. room yes. with uh, just a sink. Yeah, yeah dressing I've, cupboards. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you spent some time as a session musician as yes, well, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I actually worked with a couple of guys that were signed to RCA, a guy from uh, Dublin called Richie McGowan, who was a keyboard player and an arranger. And then there was a guy from Cardiff who was a session singer called Stevie Venus. Great name. Oh, great name. Yes. Was, that, was that his real name? No. No. <laughs> 
didn't think it so. It was probably Stan Frith or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's it's just one of those Stevie Venus. Yeah, it's a great name at the time. That's so um, that's almost like a character on a Peter Kay show. Yes, isn't it? imagine yeah, it playing is, yeah. there, Stevie Venus. Yeah, but we basically used to go down to a couple of studios in London, around Putney and places like that do the odd session for them and if RCA liked it they took it away and they'd mix it and do whatever they wanted to do with it it's mostly like commercials and jingles and that mm. type of stuff um, but I think the idea behind it was to sort of try and form this group with the self, myself on guitar and yeah. Steve on vocals and Rich is the main songwriter but a lot of people think it was like a probably a glamorous thing to be doing but you're basically driving down in a transit van crashing on the floor of somebody's apartment down there three or four days maybe in the studio yeah. and then back in the van back home and off to the clubs trying to make a living at the weekends again so interesting thing you could be on i i, I picked out some famous people who started or did session musician rick wakeman yes yeah uh, played the uh, the piano on david bowie's life on mars yes yeah uh, billy joel i think did the piano on leader of the pack yeah by the Shangri- really? and, and even oh. elton john yeah was a session musician That's right, yeah. they go on to be famous but there's so many others that i, I once interviewed the guy who played the trumpet on walking on sunshine right, <laughs> the yeah. legend you know the, the legend trumpet bit and it I can't remember his name. Right. And that's the thing with a session musician, yeah. is that you could be on some of these huge hits because all the, all the best singers need musicians behind them. Yes, yeah. I mean, I think how we tend to work nowadays is it's all done in-house, you know. I've got the ability to actually do all the production myself, you know, so that saves costs and expense, really, nowadays for anything that we release on the little label. And has that made a difference to, to the way... I mean, you, you obviously have your own studio, but... but Guys who come, I think Daniel Bedingfield is the one that yes, comes to yeah. mind. He did, he did his whole first album in his bedroom. He didn't have to leave his house. That's right, yeah. Um, the studio thing is a very tough game nowadays. You know, it's very, very difficult to make money out of a recording studio because for that reason, really, you know, there's uh, some great guys sitting in the bedroom using Pro Tools and Logic and one or two other sort of um, software programs that just basically drag and drop loops and samples in and away they go and they can create the stuff there yeah. but I still think there's a, a massive place for professional quality recordings and I think that's the difference is you can record something at home possibly but you need that professional mastering or mix on it that, yeah, add that the puts show that sheen yes yeah definitely we will come on to um, at the X Factor okay. so Mr Shane Wall but you did mention uh, being quite a fan of this guy so we'll play this Carlos Santana, uh, well, the band Santana, featuring Rob Thomas. He was the one doing the singing. Uh, my guest this morning at BBC Radio Stoke, Chris Cragg, a guitarist uh, and now yep. a producer and, and teacher of yes, music. Yes. We were just saying that, that very rare for a band to be based around the guitarist. People perhaps don't realise Carlos Santana didn't sing. That's true, yeah. Does yeah. the singer get all the glory? They always tend to, I think, yes, which was probably why I sort of developed the voice a little bit when I was a bit younger as well, because I realised that was the guy standing at the back doing a lot of the work. But it was the guy at the front that got all the girls and the glory. So I thought, hang on a minute. I need to maybe sort of try and do a little bit of both here, if I can. So I, I, I decided to take a couple of years where I just blasted the voice, did every exercise possible, and then two and a half years down the road, went out, did an audition for a few agents, and they loved it. And within about six weeks, I was signed with about nine agencies and off more as a, as a singer rather than a guitar player for a certain amount of time. So the guitar took a little bit of a back step and, and it was vocals that, that sort of came to the fore, really. Which I suppose is, is uh, all, the, all the biggest stars are a little bit versatile like that, aren't they? I, mean, think, there's, there's I think something under this sleeve. I think to stay in the industry, uh, which is a very, very tough industry nowadays, 
Um, being just a performer, it's very, very hard to make a living now. You know, it's, the venues aren't there anymore um, and it's just getting tougher and tougher. There's so many acts that are all trying to get in the same venues. So basically acts are undercutting one another and and the, the, the standard of musicianship doesn't seem to be the same to me anymore. The, the, the one that springs to mind is Gary Barlow. Mm. A very similar story yes, to yeah. yourself. He, you know, he lugged his keyboard around those working men's clubs for many years yes, before he, he even, you know, did the take that thing started. And yes, he used to uh, be the resident keyboard player in Halton British Legion near Unco and Gary did. Which I've done many a time, but <laughs> unfortunately not when Gary was there. So. <laughs> you, you and Gary have played the same venue, but yes. not at the same yes, time. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about that, because you now, you now teach people, you coach people, People and obviously with the studio you produce people when somebody walks in through the door how do you manage those expectations because of things like x factor and the fact that you know it's easy to get famous it is i all i always the, the one thing that i do stress with anybody that comes to me and i work with is that i, I never give false hopes or dreams um, i can never turn around and say oh yes you're going to be a millionaire you're going to be the next best thing it just doesn't work that way it's always a case of i'll, I'll sit them down try and get them to relax a bit like what you've done with me today basically <laughs> and uh, and then just have a little chat with them and see what sort of personality they are and then i always just ask them a couple of questions why do you want to sing why do you want to play why do you want to perform and it's always the answers that i look for are uh, you know, if I get that, I want a Ferrari or I want to get girls or I want to be rich and famous, it's the wrong answers. It's nothing to do with music, basically. It's a, it's all down to the fact that they just want a bit of glory. Yeah. Um, so the ones that say, I just want to sing or I love music, they tick the boxes, really. So those are the things that I tend to look for first more than anything. So one that did come through and perhaps um, actually bucked that trend was Shane Ward. We yes, well, what happened with Shane was I was doing the club circuit as a solo singer um, and I was playing a place in St Helens um, quite a big venue there and I was on with a band, a trio, an all girl trio called uh, Roofless uh, there was a couple of girls in the band that we kept friends with and one of the girls left and a young man called Shane Ward took the place of the girl that was in the band, um, so it was a two girl one boy trio um, and we always kept in touch and they used to come and watch me as a trio doing my solo stuff and we'd go and watch them and we'd sort of have a little jam now and again and I'd built a home studio in the garden shed in Crewe uh, and they decided to come in and record an EP and they recorded maybe seven or eight songs, something like that, maybe one or two more um, and Shane was um, doing maybe three or four songs in the set, possibly one or two others uh, and what he he did, he came in and he he was a big... They were doing a lot of cover versions and Boyzone were very big at the time. So he sang with this very slight Irish lilt. Um, and he's... he's um, a lot of his family's Irish anyway, you know, so it's always in there. Um, but we basically said, don't do this, do that, try this, try that. Discovered he'd got this great falsetto voice as well. And um, and he basically put the work in and just had the really lucky break when he went for the X Factor and the rest history, as they say. I, I mentioned to you as you came in, we were talking about, I think I hadn't watched the X Factor when it first started and the very first one I ever caught was the yes, final yeah. where he won and he sang a version of Over the Rainbow yes. that made me go... Oh, okay. Incredible, yeah. It's amazing. And he's, he's gone on to, to success and, 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 and still doing it now. He's even diversified. He's been in a West End. Yes, he has. I think it was Rock of Ages. He had the lead role in Rock of Ages. He was Stacey Jacks, is the character, I think, for about nine months. And I last saw Shane probably about six weeks ago. We were in a little pub in Gorton, Manchester. 
um, on the karaoke singing My First, My Last, My Everything by Barry White together. Uh, With an Irish lilt? Yes, yeah. oh yes, has to be there. That was just on my voice though this time. I copy what he does. And his voice is just really, really soared now. And I think it was just purely down to the fact that he was doing maybe nine shows or something like that per week in the West End. And he's, he's got this incredible voice. Um, and he just deserves to be out there, I think. You know, he's got a, you know, he's, he really stands out vocally and I've worked with a lot of singers over the years and when I've seen Shane perform even just on a karaoke it just always blows me away what a great voice the guy's got yeah I'll tell you what we'll pause for some travel uh, and we'll we'll bring the story up to date if that's okay, okay. Chris Craig is with me this morning also before midday we're going to that's my Shane Ward, That's My Goal, which was his winner's single from The X Factor. But before all that, you see, he'd come into contact with my guest this morning, Chris Craig, and you, you, it's all thanks to you, isn't it? Oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was that easy, yeah. Um, Having yeah. worked with him, how did it feel when you, when you watched that and you saw him slowly get to the final on the night when, when he actually won it? Well, I was actually uh, sat at home with my wife Anne watching The X Factor. We'd been on tour, actually, the band in Germany a couple of weeks before, so every time he was, he was doing the live shows, he'd phone us up afterwards, how did it do, how did it do? And the girls in the band would take the call and go, oh, it was great, you know, you did really, really well. Um, and then we'd put the phone down and think, hope it goes through. Uh, we didn't really expect that it was going to go all the way, which he did. He just had this great look that all the mums and the girls and everybody loved. Um, and when he actually um, sang the Over the Rainbow uh, track that you worked, uh, talked about earlier, Stuart, I turned to my wife and said, oh, that's the one. He's won it. You know. and, and sometimes the winners aren't exactly what Mr Cowell probably no, would want because he no. sees pop stars and we see great singers and wins. And after that, it's what you make of it, isn't it? Yes. It's you a know, springboard. It is a springboard, yes. You know, um, ironically, I think Shane always really wanted to possibly get into the West End as a kid at school. He was um, always doing the plays and the performance and that type of stuff, and that's where he really probably wanted to go. And you've worked with Gareth Gates as well, I, you? I was on the same bill as Gareth okay. Gates. And, and he did festival. exactly the same. It's yes, like the pop yeah. star thing, well, that's short-lived but he's he's still um a very successful artist yeah and they're, st they're still out there you know they still earn a living and still do very well i suppose you know so so when these people come to because you now as you say you 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 decide to take the step back from performing and um and yes, live yeah. a little on the narrowboat mm -hmm, yeah um but but with your own studio when people come in can you spot what's going to be say they're going to make it they're not going to make it is it is it something that easy to spot or is a lot of it down to luck i think the making it thing is very very difficult to predict there's just some great singers out there some fantastic voices and there is the element of luck in it the hardest thing that that we find being a small um sort of soul trader based uh, label the Cragstar record labeling crew is 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 trying to get the tracks out there it's the marketing that's hard you, you know you can't compete with the likes of sony bmg uh, simon cowell's label when he's throwing maybe a million and a half two million behind a single to get it out there you know and we're probably throwing maybe 50 pound if we're lucky at a song to try and get it out and trying to get radio plays very very difficult has social media helped the fact that that you can reach people so much more easily now and and you can download something yes without a doubt uh, i think it's the way forward for a lot of musicians nowadays um some of the acts that we've got some of the young girls that have been signed to the label they've sold in places obscure as, as peru and australia and greece so which you'd never have been able to do exactly. on a 50 pound budget that's right before. yes yeah so when when you're not producing other people and helping start other people's careers is the guitar still really important to you yes it is yeah i have uh, an old 1980 gibson sg which 
sits on the boat with me and a little lamp and my wife goes down to the other end and lies on the bed and watches uh, some, some sort of homes under the hammer or something like that and I get the guitar out and have a little practice on it. So I'll probably try and do maybe an hour, hour and a quarter a day uh, just purely for the love of it still. I saw, I saw the video, obviously I do my research for, for this morning and watch the video that's on, on your website. I thought, oh, okay, he could play a bit then. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. uh, still that kind of stuff? Do you, do you still like to... Uh... Yeah, I'm actually, one of the things that I've, I've decided to do um, which is probably a bit obscure at my age, really, because uh, I, I reached 50 last year, so uh, it's not really built for, for 50-year-olds, the, the music industry now. But I Tell just that to Mick Jagger. To, Tell that to <laughs> Keith yes, Richards. Yeah. I decided to sort of write and record a couple of my own songs. Basically, I'm having a few vocal problems, so I'm not doing any singing until I've been to see the doctor, but it's sort of inspired me to get the guitar and write a few instrumentals as well. So I'm probably looking at maybe throwing something out in, in a couple of months as an instrumental and just see what happens along with the, uh, the other people on the label. Well, I can't wait to hear it. And, and next time we get you in, we're going to get you to bring the guitar. Yes. But uh, a fascinating chat. Um, lovely to talk to you, Chris. And thank, thank you very you much. So Chris Craig, thank you for coming in. It's BBC Radio Stoke. Uh, still to come this morning. I've got some beauty tips for you. Yeah.